Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> okay, sorry. Hello and welcome to Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. This week we're chatting all things wine with Diana Thompson, who's the founder of Fizz Feast Edinburgh. But just now I'm joined in the studio by Caitlin Dewar from the Edinburgh Evening News. Hi Caitlin. Hi Roz. Hi. So Diana has a festival called Fizz Feast. Is fizzy wine something that you're into? It is. It's my wine of choice. That and white wine over red I would pick any day. <laughs> so a Prosecco or a Champagne? Or not well, really? Champagne on occasion, but usually Prosecco. <laughs> I tried one the other day when I was at a dinner at Left Field, mm-hmm. up at Brunsfield, and it was called Le Cl- Clerc Briant Brew and it was like a light fizzy wine but it tasted like honey it was amazing oh, nice. and I would go out my way to buy it but I don't know how much it's priced at oh, we'll need to find out from Diana so what I've noticed recently um, in both Edinburgh and Glasgow is the rise of the wine bar it's made a return and they they keep saying they kind of push the message that they're not pretentious have you been to any in Edinburgh and what do you think the sort of resurgence of them is due to? I have not been to any of them yet but I am planning to go to them. I think that there's a market for it in Edinburgh and I think when you go to a wine bar you expect that people there to know what they're talking about and what they're recommending to you so it's an experience more than anything rather than just going to a cocktail bar you might be able to try something new. And I suppose with cocktails they can be quite pricey whereas if you go out for a couple of glasses of wine it's probably not as well, I say this, I've actually not been either. <laughs> I've been to one in Glasgow, which was great. Bar Brett on Great Western Road are very good and they do Buckfast by the glass for anyone who's interested. Amazing. So if you're through, you should go and visit them. I think you always know what you're getting with wine as well. Sometimes you order a cocktail off of a menu and you have no idea what's going to arrive. But with wine, I think you're quite certain about what you're getting. Yeah. So what I've noticed as well is the rise of English sparkling wine and apparently some champagne houses have bought land in the south of England because of climate change they think they're going to be able to make uh, not champagne obviously because it's not France have you tried any English sparkling wines at all? Not off the top of my head no but I would be willing to give it a shot Maybe one of the wine bars? Maybe one of the wine bars <laughs> Or at Fizz Feast if you go Someone could recommend me a good one I'll happily try it. <laughs> definitely get on Twitter guys and recommend Caitlin a wine <laughs> Well thanks for coming in and hopefully you'll have a, a nice glass of whatever that honey wine was at the weekend. <laughs> hopefully one tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks Ron. Thank you So I'm in the studio just now with Diana Thompson from Wine Event Scotland. Hi, Diana. Hello. Hello, thanks for coming in. So you founded what I think are Edinburgh's only wine fairs. You've got Edinburgh Uncorked Wine Fair, which is going to launch this spring, and Scotland's only sparkling wine festival, Fizz Feast. What was your motivation behind launching these festivals? Because I love sparkling wine. Who doesn't? <laughs> and whether it be from your sort of bog standard Prosecco to your vintage champagne, it's a fantastic, fantastic fantastic drink and it's a great thing to celebrate. Fizz Feast is in November so it's just before Christmas as just when people are starting to get interested in Christmas and and of course sparkling wine and Christmas go hand in hand. So the idea was let's put on a, uh, a celebration of sparkling wine 
and uh, for people to taste lots of different sparkling wines before Christmas and get an idea of what could be their favourite Christmas fizz that year. And um, I was just wanting to say, yeah, Christmas and champagne and everything do go hand in hand, and that is the time when people are like, it's almost Christmas, <laughs> although it's November. Yes. Edinburgh Uncorked Wine Fair, that's, is that quite a new one? Yes, it is. So I started last year, just for a bit of fun, really, I started up a Facebook group called Edinburgh Uncorked, and the idea is that if you're out and about, whether it be in a supermarket aisle or whether it be a, in a wine shop or with friends, and you come across a wine you like, take a photo of it and pop it up on the Facebook group and tell people whether you can get it. You don't need to wax lyrical about scary tasting notes or talk anything like that. It's just a, just a bit of fun, really. So that that's what it's the start of it. And then because I had Fizz Feast in November, quite a lot of people were saying, oh, couldn't you do organise something else later in the year or, you know, earlier in the year rather? And so I thought, OK, well, let's, um, let's think of something in the springtime because it's perfect timing for a wine fair. And uh, Edinburgh Corked was an obvious choice. So the idea is that it's going to be offering great wines at great prices. So whether it be everyday drinking or whether it be wines for special occasions, that's the, um, the rule that the exhibitors have been given. So they've got to bring great wines at great prices. Which is great because sometimes I think that there's a lot of sort of kind of inaccessibility or like snobbery around wine I think maybe a lot of people don't feel like it's something they, they could get into easily or it's like a community they could get into easily so, but why do you think that is that, that sort of I think historically I think really sort of everybody sort of has this image of people of sort of old-fashioned people in their bow ties and the tweed suits and so on and sniffing and talking waxing lyrical about these different wines and people think oh that's terrifying I can't get into that but wine's there to be enjoyed it's there for everybody to to have fun with and uh, and to enjoy so there's so many different styles from your very light style white wine to uh, big rich heavy reds so there's there's something for everybody there, everybody's palate. I always think when you, you think of wine snobs, I, I'm a massive fan of Fraser, and I still watch it now because it's on Channel 4 in the morning, but his wine club, and it was really difficult to get into, and there was a matter of wine, and they had to do tastings blind, and you just think that is exactly what it shouldn't be, but that's what everyone kind of thinks it is. So it's good that people can come along and sort of find out more and get things for their budget as well. Yeah, that's exactly. And I organise um, monthly wine workshops as well, which is exactly that's what it's all about. It's... In, informal, informative and affordable, fun group of people having uh, yeah, a, a wine evening. Which is so the absolute uh, opposite of Fraser then in his <laughs> wine club. <laughs> <laughs> so the festivals are in Edinburgh, is that just purely a geographical thing for you because you're based here? or Yes, but also because it's, it's a great place for festivals, as we know. I mean, Edinburgh festivals <laughs> go hand in hand. And uh, yes, when I was trying to think of something, you know, a suitable wine, wine festival, Fizz and festivals go go hand in hand. So Fizz Feast was an obvious choice, and it's also it's it's not just sparkling wine. It's also artisan foods. So we have some fantastic food producers there as well, local producers. They might not just be Scottish. So we have Pakari chocolate, for instance, that is Ecuadorian, but it's run by a guy in Scotland, and so that sort of thing. So it's um it's a lot of lot of fun and interesting foods. It's a good day out then. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> So how did you get into your line of work? I was originally I was in cooking, but I'd always had a um, an interest in wine, and I was wanting to go travelling, and the 
places I wanted to go to travel were Australia, New Zealand, the States and South Africa and uh, all interesting wine producing countries at the time. So I went off and I went off for a year and I worked in various places, particularly a winery in Australia and then came back and started, yeah, started working in wine down in London and then moved up here. Thought I was going to have to get back into uh, whiskey or beer moving up to Scotland, but uh, and ended up back in the wine trade as well, which is great. And do you find the wine is it a bit different up in Scotland compared to like London? Is it is their taste slightly different, or is it slightly you know not behind? But do you know what I mean? Is it have you found differences? I think the opportunities we have are certainly growing, but sort of the range of wines we've got in Scotland, and we've got some fantastic small wine producers. I mean, just in Edinburgh, looking around, you've got. Villeneuve wines, you've got Vino, um, Appalachian wines, and lots of other ones that are online as well that you can, can access. And they have a fantastic wine delivery service. And that's really, really important. So they'll offer next day delivery, which is what everyone wants. Everyone wants convenience. And if you don't like a wine, they say you can send it back. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give someone who is looking to find out more about wine? Um, I would say... Try and remember what you taste. Try and write a few notes down if you like, or certainly take a little photo. Um, I mean, everyone's into that these days with Instagram. Take a photo of it or even ask other people to take a photo of it, put it on Instagram and say, have you tasted this? But try and remember what you've tasted. Remember what you like. Go to wine fairs, come to Fizz Feast or Edinburgh Uncorked. And, and it's great. The exhibitors are going to be there. Lots of lovely exhibitors from Waitrose, Lidl, smaller producers, Bellissimo Vino in Edinburgh and Appalachian Wines as well, and numerous other ones that, who are really happy to talk to you and, uh, and want to talk to you, want to improve your wine knowledge and share what they love with others. And off the back of that, so obviously people are going to come to these things and taste wine. What are your top wine tasting tips? Uh, don't, don't taste too much <laughs> to begin with. If you come along to a wine fair, there are spittoons there. I know people aren't used to spitting, but it's really important. We'll have, at Edinburgh Corked, we'll have over 100 wines there. So come along. Everyone gets, also everyone will get a lovely Riedel crystal wine glass when they arrive and that's theirs to take home. So taste different wines and try and spit spit out to begin with and then you can go back and drink the wines later. So, um, But otherwise if you end up drinking all the wines that you try, you'll forget what you've tasted and it'll be, yes, you'll, you'll have, a, have a good time, but you'll forget the wines that you really enjoyed. So um, yeah, take it easy and be responsible and spit the wine if you can. And, uh, and then you can yeah, go back and, uh, and enjoy them later as well. And I assume if you if you did taste all of these wines, not only would you end up quite drunk, but your your palate would change as well. So you're not actually properly tasting them, are you? You're just, if you've mixed a lot of different types. Yes, yes. And try, what I'd also suggest is try and taste the um, white wines perhaps first. Sparkling wines, maybe go around the whole fair and taste the sparkling wines. And then you also get an idea of which producers you might find more interesting to talk to. So go around, taste sparkling wines or taste the white wines to begin with and then come back for the reds. And it's Edinburgh and Cork. We're also going to have Edinburghers, which is a fantastic burger van 
which has upmarket burgers. So he'll be there to uh, keep people well fed. Sober. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned a glass there. Does the shape, I've always wondered this myself actually, does the shape and size of a glass affect the taste of wine? Because you know at restaurants you get a red wine glass, white wine glass, and you technically should do that at home, but I don't imagine many people do. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a subject. And actually, Riedel, so Riedel, who um, I'm producing these glasses for people to take home, they have got a range of different glass shapes that they've designed over 260 years. And so some are not only white wines and red wine glasses, but you've also got wine glasses for different styles of wines. So whether it be a crisp dry white or even down to grape varieties. So for a Cabernet Sauvignon, for instance, red wine. But it really does make a difference. And we've got uh, Maximilian Riedel himself, the big, the big main man, coming over from Austria at the end of March, on the 30th of March. And he's going to be doing a fantastic masterclass at the Balmoral Hotel, where he's literally going to be showing everyone just that. So we'll take four glasses and try them out with the correct wine that's supposed to be in that glass and then the incorrect gla- wine that's supposed to be in that glass. And it's going to be a lot of fun as well. And and then people will get to take those glasses home with them. And you really can tell the difference. Yes, yes. It's amazing, actually. And so having the right wine glass, it can actually bring, a, you know, really inexpensive. You don't have to have the most expensive wines to be enjoying the right glass. It can bring, you know, even the most inexpensive wines to life. It's fantastic. And has that got to do with how air gets in and maybe the smell that gets to you? And is it? Yes. And the shape, often it's also the shape of the rim of the glass. So whether it be a, an open, quite an open glass at the top, for instance, for an unoaked Chardonnay, or whether it be quite closed, if it's a crisp, dry white wine, that will make a real difference. So that's where the flavours, the nose, aromas, it's where the aromas are concentrated, it makes a real difference to the wine glass. And they even have a, a New World Pinot Noir glass and an old world Pinot Noir glass. <laughs> so, you know, your Burgundy Pinot Noir should be in a different glass to something from the New World, for instance, from Chile, which is, yeah, very interesting. Because I've heard recent, well, recently that, so your champagne flute was always quite up and down. And then I was like, Don Perignon wanted to introduce more of like a sort of almost like not red wine shape, but like a bigger sort of bit to get your nose in and taste. And I just find that really interesting because yeah. they've always traditionally been quite thin. But Yes, they also have the coupe, which is the, it's more of a, well, the champagne saucer. Yeah. But personally, I don't like those. Some people love them. Some people don't. Some people say they're fantastic for vintage champagne. But if you get a bigger surface area, all those bubbles are going to disappear very quickly. So you won't get the same enjoyment. But yes, a lot of the shapes of the champagne glasses, some of them are being produced so that they're slightly more of a bowl shape, but they've still got a more of a narrow lip to them where you can get the concentration of the flavours, of the aromas. I never thought about the lack of bubbles. <laughs> I always just spill them when they're in bubbles. <laughs> and they're also, they don't, they don't hold much either. No, well, that's true. <laughs> Do you have a favourite wine? A lot of people ask me that, and it always depends what mood I'm in, who I'm with, what the season is. Uh, and a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not sure what wine to bring around, you know, if we'll, or to choose if we're having a drink together. And my view is it's just something different, something interesting is always, always important. But yeah, as to my favourite wine, yeah, it all depends on the mood. I probably like food, if you, if you think back to your most favourite restaurant meal you've had or something like that, it's... Uh, it's all to do with the, the mood you're in or the people you're with. And what are the most common misconceptions about wine? That you can't talk about it. People are scared to talk about it sometimes and they feel that they're, 
you know, they, they feel that they're going to be caught out and say the wrong thing. But it's uh, everybody's also very different, um, tastes things differently. And it's very important that people can talk up about it and share it and share in the enjoyment, see what they like about it or not. I do the um, WSET, which is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust courses. And so I'm doing some courses at the moment. And it's great getting people talking about it who think, oh, I'm not quite sure about this. So I don't think I can speak up or I haven't got this flavor. And and you'll get a, a group of people around the room and one person, for instance, might pick out banana from, a, from a, the aroma of a wine and he'll pick out banana out of everything. <laughs> and, and that's fine to talk about it because, yes, yeah, some people will and, uh, and some people pick out something completely different. But it's there to be enjoyed. It's not, not there to be stuffy about. And do you find, so off the back of misconceptions, do you find that people think price and quality go hand in hand when that's maybe not necessarily the case? To a certain extent, they do. I mean, you get sort of some supermarket wines that sort of the uh, the entry level wines and you won't expect much from them. They might be quite interesting, some of them. And then you'll get wines that are uh, sort of top end 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds a bottle. And generally, producers are quite good these days at picking the right price point for those wines. But you can get some fantastic bargains as well. Uh, Speaking of which, I've spoken to, over the course of my work, Lidl's Master of Wine, Richard Bamfield. And I think he's he's really interesting. He does his great. And also, it's an amazing job title. (laughs) But uh, how important do you think it is that supermarkets like Lidl do a range of good quality wines. I think it's very important. And I think it's very important that the supermarkets carry on doing this with the huge range that they have. And as you say, Lidl have got some fantastic wines at ridiculous prices. And what's really interesting in what they do is their wine tour. So seasonally, they'll bring out a range of wines which are ridiculously priced, some of them. And they are available. Lidl are in 48 countries worldwide. So they have a fantastic buying power. There was an interesting story with a, um, a dessert wine that they've got, which is an ice wine, which they bring out at Christmas, and it's Polytary Ice Wine. And I was I, uh, a wine workshop just before Christmas, sort of showing people some great wines at great prices, and I call it Edinburgh Uncorked at Christmas. And the idea behind that is sort of, it's giving people an idea of what's available. Maybe there'll be special offers or uh, wines at great prices in and around Edinburgh or online. And and I'd come across this wine called Blittery Ice Wine at Lidl. And I'd put a bottle, I'd got a bottle and I had it sitting on my desk. And my husband came along and he said, what are you doing with my wine? And I said, it's not your wine, it's mine. Um, and I'm showing it at my tasting next week. He said, but Charlie, Charlie Blittery gave me that. And I thought, what? And so anyway, it turned out he, my husband's in whiskey and he was working at a trade fair in Canada. And he goes out there every year and he's made friends with Charlie Plittery. And so he gave him this bottle. And then here was I picking it up at Lidl. Now, Lidl had it at the time for $9.99 a bottle. And so my husband then put me in touch with Charlie, who then was telling me all about it. And he told me that in Canada, they sell it for $50 a bottle. Wow. <laughs> and uh, here we are getting it at $9.99. So it really showed that it's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic value. And one to look out for if you like dessert exactly. wine. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's, uh, it's, they usually do it just at Christmas time. Right. So, yep. And everybody races, <laughs> races off to go and get it. I no wonder at that price. Mm. I take it it's just because, like you say, that in so many different countries, they buy such a volume that they can reduce the price massively. Absolutely. Yes, yes, they do. And they are, they are fantastic um, at doing that. Uh, so speaking of supermarkets, do you have a favourite supermarket or budget wine? Ooh, 
my favourite thing is going around the supermarkets and seeing what's on special offer and uh, <laughs> and having a look and having a try. One that springs to mind is is backed a little again is their Batarica, which is a fantastic Rioja. And at the moment they've got the 2014 vintage. It's under five pounds a bottle, and it's superb value. Um, it really is. Again, we need to look out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a it's in a dark bottle with the um, the wire cage around it. That's another thing as well. So people must look at price and maybe equate that to quality. But do you think bottles and labels and things that come with bottles affect people's buying decisions as well? Or definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. From from a marketing background, as certainly people are looking at something something that's interesting, something that's going to stand out on a shelf. And when people are designing wine labels and bottles, they will always look at. How is it going to sit on a, for instance, a wine shelf, whether it be in an independent or whether it be in a supermarket and how they're going to make theirs stand out? So definitely you're, you're not going to pick up something that's going to be very boring. But actually, if you go and have a look in um, there's a fantastic new wine bar at the top of Leith Walk called Spry Wines. And they've got lots of organic and natural wines. And they have you can go in there and have a glass of wine or you can go and buy a bottle of wine. And so they've got all the wine bottles at the side on the on the shelves, and they've got fantastic labels. It's it's like going into a library. You you have a lot of fun just looking at it and dreaming of them all. So they're all quite quite fun and quite wacky as well. That's good. I need to try that. So I've actually written about that, but I've not been yet. So I need to go. Need oh, to definitely, up. definitely. But you, if you plan to go and get a bottle of wine there, you'll definitely need a glass of wine to enjoy. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, in your opinion, what is the best wine to celebrate with, and what is the best wine to commiserate with? Oh, it's got to be champagne all the way. <laughs> definitely, champagne or English sparkling wine as well is uh, is another great favourite. So, English sparkling wine is a relatively new thing, I think, because of the climate change. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's becoming more and more well known, and actually, it's the quality that's um, really improving. I mean, they're producing some fantastic sparkling wines that are really well worth looking out for. the The climate it's it's got a similar chalk soil, a lot of the vineyards to Champagne, but what the producers are doing are making it in the same method as champagne so that what's called the traditional method which is bottle fermented method which is a long painstaking method and but they're pricing it really well I mean some of them are under 20 pounds a bottle and they're using the same grape varieties as champagne same production methods and a lot of them are going into blind tastings and being judged and an English sparkling wine is coming out tops it's exciting times yeah and is that is that a climate change thing then? Is it because the climate's now war- so much warmer down there that they can it make it? It is, wine? to a certain extent, yes. We're noticing, particularly in winemaking, that climate change is having a huge difference. I mean, some of the German wines that we're seeing as well are um, a lot better than they used to be. A lot of it because there's more sunshine, there's more warmth, and so the grapes are getting wa- riper. And the similar with, with English sparkling wine as well, yes. And is the rumour correct that some champagne houses have bought land in the south of England? Yes, yes, <laughs> a lot of them have. <laughs> um, yeah, Tattinger for one have, and various others have as well, um, just because they're seeing that it's a, it's a great opportunity. And do you think that Scotland maybe could eventually produce sparkling wine? More likely to be able to produce sparkling wine than 
perhaps still wine, um, because in, the thing is with sparkling wine, you want the acidity. So if the grapes aren't as ripe, that's better because they've got higher acidity. Yep. So I think it's, uh, a few have started trying to experiment with some of the um, Canadian grape varieties as well, which are used to being in sort of cooler climates. So that'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So would that be like ice wine or would it be like actual? It's actually, yeah, sparkling wine or uh, yeah, some still as well. Imagine that, Scottish champagne. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Move over whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you a very quick how-to question for anyone who would like to know. How can you quickly pair wine and food at home? Interesting rules are, think about the acidity. So if you have a white wine, for instance, that's got quite high acidity, if you pair it with a food that's got high acidity, so whether that be uh, even a salad with a, a vinaigrette dressing or chicken or fish that's been cooked in lemon or a lemon tart, and also tomatoes got a lot of acidity. So if you pair the wine with that, it'll reduce the acidity in the wine and therefore bring forward the fruit flavours. So you can get away with a really inexpensive, for instance, white wine, put it with some food which has got a higher acidity, and the wine will taste a lot better. And similarly with, if you've got, that be for white wine, but for red wine, if you've got a red wine that's got quite a lot of tan in there, it's quite drying, if you have a sort of salty dish, whether it be charcuterie or even peanuts in drinks party or main course with more salt, it'll soften the tannins and bring out the fruit characters. So again, you can get away with a, a less expensive red wine and if you have a little bit more salt in the, in the dish. So you could even go like salty fish with red wine? Yes. Oh. Yes. yes. Controversial. <laughs> be good at, yes. <laughs> you have to be careful with salty fish. Some of them, something like um, smoked salmon can be quite tricky to pair. That's got what's called umami in it, which is sort of a savoury character. And that can be a killer for wine. Does it go with champagne? Umami? Not so much so, yes. Umami on its own, so that's like MSG, uh, monosodium glutamate. and But often that's hidden So with uh, smoked salmon, for instance, yes. Uh, you've got the salt in there as well. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's really interesting. So we're going to move on to the section of the podcast now, which is desert island drinks. So if you could take three drinks with you onto a desert island, what would they be? Ooh. I think, oh, if I had three, it's got to be wine. Um, it'll be champagne, probably champagne, nice white wine to keep me hydrated and a red wine. Or even maybe I would take a, take a winemaker. And uh, <laughs> take a winemaker, take a few vines, uh, vines you don't need great soil for, so they do well maybe in the, uh, in the desert. And uh, yeah, we can have a lot of fun then. <laughs> see, see what happens. Yes. <laughs> and then lastly, we have the section called My Life and Food, which is a quick fire question round where I'll ask you five questions about your relationship with food and drink. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> yeah. What food brings back childhood nostalgia? I think it's got to be shepherd's pie. If you had an hour to cook a meal for yourself, what would you make? An hour? Ah, it depends what the season is, maybe. But I think, ah, I'm into, at the moment, things like some char-grilled vegetables and halloumi, that sort of thing, something quick with a nice, nice sort of light sauce on top of it. Um, yeah. What's your food guilty pleasure? Oh, um, I think food guilty pleasure has got to be something like steak with a nice, nice red wine accompanying it. You're in a bar at 1am, what drink do you order? Champagne. 
<laughs> Which is theme here? <laughs> Champagne. And, uh, probably 1am I might not be thinking about the, the budget side of it. Um, and if you knew it was going to be your last ever meal, what would you have? Ooh, I think probably Scottish salmon. With champagne. With, uh, with champagne, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Diana. It's been great to find out more about not only your festivals, but wine and glasses and sparkling wine and possibly Scottish sparkling wine. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming in today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I've been your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this has been Series 1 of Scran. Thank you so much for listening along the way. We'll be back on Good Friday, which is Friday the 10th of April, for Series 2, with lots of exciting stuff and more great guests. You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following on Twitter where we are at Laudable Pods and Instagram by searching Laudable underscore podcasts.